Well, I want to take a moment. If you would, if you have a Bible, if there's one in front of you, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to stay in that passage uh, this morning. And there's a couple of things in there I want you to look at while you are turning. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to express uh, our sorrow of the tragedies that have happened in El Paso, Texas, and uh, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, just last week, it was uh, Gilroy, California, with the Garlic Festival. And then yesterday, uh, El Paso, Texas, I believe 19 or 20 uh, were killed. And then last night, another person in Dayton, Ohio, decided to take out a gun and, and, and kill nine others. I'd like to take this time and, and, uh, and let's, uh, let's say a word of prayer for, for those uh, communities and, and for the families that have lost loved ones. Can we do that? Father, we, we come to you as our only source of help and strength. Lord, you said that we could come to you through the throne of grace in time of need. Father, there are communities within our country that are in need today. They're in need of love. They're in need of comfort, of understanding. So, Lord, we pray today that in the midst of these senseless acts of violence, that the love of God would make its way into the hearts and the minds and the lives of those affected. That you would give beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, that you would pour out your favor and blessing, not only on these communities, but on our country, that you would allow your love your grace, your beauty to shine bright. So Lord, we pray for the families of the victims. We pray today for the community as they come together that you would pour out your favor. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I know it seems a little, a little different. I, I want to talk to you about unspeakable joy. And yet, and yet, all of these things that are going on in our, in our culture, in our community. And you can say, well, it's, you know, we need reform on this. We need reform on that. I'm going to tell you, to be honest, I, we can reform everything we want. But until the hearts and lives of people are reformed, it's not going to change. Every single one of these people that have perpetrated these, these horrific crimes all have at least one thing in common. They have no joy. They're not happy. They're not content within themselves. And I want to talk to you this morning about, about that, that greater joy. When I know when I was young, when I was young, life was about me. Actually, it was about three people, me, myself, and I. No. Uh, so that was life. That was, you know, there was, there was just this great joy in, in me. 
what I thought. I woke up in the morning and the first thing I thought of was, what am I going to do and what am I going to eat for breakfast? And, you know, and, and then you would get impatient when your parents wanted to sleep in because you wanted to eat. You know, so it's just all those things about you when you're little. Then as you start growing up, something amazing happens. You start finding joy in helping others. You ever do that? Find joy in... I, I remember watching my children learn to tie their shoes or, or learn to ride a bike. And it was incredible seeing them wobble off on that bike all by themselves. It's just like, Wow. They have conquered this, and I had a little part to play in it. And there's just a joy, there's a satisfaction that, that comes when you see somebody else fulfill something. Uh, I was uh, thinking about when I was a, a teacher back when dinosaurs roamed the land. And, and, and I, I remember my first year of teaching, it was horrible. Because I didn't understand teaching. I thought that I was just the vast reservoir of knowledge and I was going to impart it to these open minds. And it just didn't work. You ever try to teach math right after lunch when everybody is just so chocked full of sugar? Their eyes roll back in their head. They look like sharks. They just turn white. And it's like, it's like you know, you're, you're terrified because nobody's paying attention to you. But I remember one day in particular... I was teaching or trying to teach, and I got off of my notes, got off of everything else, and I began to speak on a topic that the kids were interested in. I was able to take that topic and, and, and turn it to where I really wanted to go, and one of the students got it. I mean, they got it. Have you ever seen somebody when you're talking to them and the light goes on, like, doop? And you, and you see it, it's like, yes, I got it. And I learned, I learned a secret about, about teaching, about, about connecting with people and taking them from a place they know to a place they don't know. But I also learned the joy of watching somebody really catch it, really get it, really understand it. There's something about that. It's just, it's just amazing. When you, when you transition from me to them, there is a greater joy. There's an unspeakable joy that comes from serving and ministering to others. Young Christians are, are the same way. When I was a young Christian, it was, it was pretty much all about me. You ever, you, ever, you ever that way? You know, and if they didn't sing the songs that I wanted to sing, and if they didn't want to do what I wanted to do, if they weren't preaching the way I wanted to preach, then then they were just missing God's will. And I knew everything, because just if you had asked me, I would have told you. And, but now I've forgotten most of the stuff I knew. But I, I discovered that as as began to mature in Christ, my joy wasn't in just the experiences that I received in church or in small group or life group or community or whatever it may be, my joy began to shift when I realized how exciting it was to share and to see somebody else come to faith in Christ. 
to be able to speak a kind word to someone and, and see them transform. Yesterday I was talking to, to, to a, a lady that's been, you know, the group has been using our gym and, and I told her because she said, well, you know, it's been a long work it's, and, it's, and it's a nonprofit. It's to help foster children. And, and I told her, I said, you know, don't get tired of what you're doing. I said, can you imagine? I said, we're all going to stand before Christ. She said, yeah, yeah, we are. And I said, think about it. Part of that's really kind of scary, isn't it? I don't care how close you are to God. If that doesn't scare you a little bit, you need to think about it. Because <laughs> Jesus is pretty big. So, but we're going to stand before him and, and we're going to receive a reward from him. And, and I, said, I told her, I said, you know, think about it. You're going to stand before the Lord. And, and can you imagine if you look back and the Lord says, look behind you and there's some people behind you. And he says, because of what you did, because of your labor of love and ministering and pouring your life into other people, they heard the gospel. They're in heaven. They have eternal life because of your acts of kindness and dedication. She started crying. I started crying. But it helped, helped her understand that, that this life is not about just doing what we want to do or going where we want to go or saying what we want to say. There is a joy that comes when you and I begin to understand that this life is really about helping others. In, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is, is said to have a, has said to those that he was separating the sheep from the goats. And Jesus was looking at him and, and he said, Well done, my good and faithful servants, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. And, and they looked at him and said, well, well, Lord, when did we do that? We don't remember. When did we do that? And he said, When you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. What does that say for one, that Christians help others, but two, they're not helping others so they can get points in heaven. They're helping others because they have a passion and desire to bless those around them. It's a powerful concept when we realize that that our life can be fulfilled. We can have a joy within us when we begin to follow Jesus' example and ministering to others. So in John, in John, 1 John 1, John is writing this pastoral letter. He's writing it to the church, and he's writing it to a church that he loves, that he loves deeply, that he, he, very, he cares for. And if you read in the book of 1 John, you'll notice that it doesn't have the, the beginning salutations. It doesn't have the greetings, the formal greetings that the Greek have. He's writing a very personal, intimate letter to very personal, close friends. It's as if you would write a, a letter, if you wrote a letter to, to a group, you, you would make sure that everything was proper and you were using the right terms. But when you're writing to somebody that's very close, you use words that you wouldn't use with somebody you don't know. And John writes this, and, and I want you to look at 1-4. John declares that, that his and all Christians' joy is complete when we begin to serve 
others. He says in 1 John 1, 4, we write this to make our joy complete. I, I want you to look at that for a moment. We write this to make your joy complete. John didn't say, I'm writing what I'm writing because I want your, your joy, your happiness. He said, no, here's what I'm writing. I'm writing, I'm writing this because I want my joy, our joy, to be complete, to be fulfilled. What, what, is, he, what is he saying? That true joy can be found in serving others, seeing a hungry person fed, seeing someone take that step of faith and surrender their life to Christ. Today, we get to watch not one, not two, but four people baptized uh, and giving their life as a dedication to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Don't you love that? And I'll, I'll, I'm going to tell you a little bit about baptism, and, and there's, you know, there's a, lot of, a lot of different beliefs about baptism. Baptism is about identification with what Christ has done for us. There's no magical formula you can say over somebody. There, there is, it, it's not about what it does. It's about our faith in Him. It's about the believer, and if they can articulate to me, that, that I want to be baptized because I want the world to know that I am a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, that he forgave my sins, he is the way to the Father, he is the way through eternal life. There is no one that, that can satisfy what I need for eternal life but Jesus Christ, and I'm all in. If they can articulate it to me, well, we had a couple of six-year-olds uh, articulate a little differently, but the message was the same. They understand how important Jesus is and they want that personal relationship with him and they want the world to know, I follow Jesus. Don't you love that? This should be one of the most joyous times in a church's life. When we... I like that. Let's quickly go through this. I, I, I want to get to communion, and then I, I want to get to this baptism. Here, here's John's letter, and he's writing, and, and he doesn't even tell you who he's writing to. He's not necessarily writing to a group of churches. He's writing to an intimate group that would have been shared with one or two uh, groups. And, and he says the letter starts as a personal, close, and intimate correspondent. And he says, this is what I want you to do. He, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and have touched, which this we proclaim concerning the word of life. What John is saying, John declares a personal relationship with Christ. He's building a credibility with his readers because of a personal experience that he has had. John is looking, uh, writing to his, to his uh, people that he loves and he said you've heard about Jesus but I have seen him I have touched him I laid my head on his chest I, I am the one that Jesus loved I am the disciple that Jesus loved I have seen him and touched him and have been with him heard him seen him for myself isn't that powerful there's nothing like an eyewitness can I, can I tell you, if you really want to connect with somebody, if you really want to get to somebody, here's what you have to understand. You can't lead them where you've never been. If you want somebody to have a close, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to have to be able to articulate to them 
you have heard about Jesus, but I know him. I know him. I hear from him. I read his word. He speaks to me in the word. He speaks to me through his spirit. He speaks to me. I know Jesus Christ. There's nothing that can change or, or, or slow down or, or, or replace that personal, intimate relationship that you have. Notice that, that John is saying that this intimate relationship, this proclamation that, that he is about to proclaim is based on first-hand experience, something that he has actually seen and done himself. Revelation 12, 11 says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What is our testimony? We're testifying what Christ has done for us, not what he did for the world. I, I will tell you that one of the, there are more, there are more pastors that lose faith in God in seminary than any other time in the world. You know why? Because they're talking about God, but they're not talking with God. They're talking what God can do, but they're not talking about what God has done in them. And you say, well, would you have something against seminary? No, I enjoyed my years there. Thank God they're over. point is simply this. You have to have that relationship with God. You have to have a first-hand experience. If you want to, be, if you want to have this, this greater joy, this unspeakable joy of, of helping others come to faith in Christ, you must have a personal, intimate relationship with Him. Because you can't take somebody where you've never been. I, I had a person once, uh, I gave him the topic, they were going to speak, and I gave him the topic of the Holy Spirit, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they got up and they told me everything that the Holy Spirit did, not one reference to what the Holy Spirit had done in their life. And they couldn't, because they had never experienced it. It's important that you have a personal relationship. So he tells us how. How you're going to connect. How you're going to connect with people is simply declaring your personal, intimate relationship with Christ. Your own identity in Him. Why do we connect? Look, look what the scripture says. That we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify it. We proclaim it to, to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father we proclaim, verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. This is why we proclaim the message of Christ. We, how we proclaim it is because we have a personal relationship. Why we proclaim it? Because we want everybody to come into a personal fellowship, intimate relationship with Christ. I love my, my family that I grew up with. But the bonds that I really have with Christ's followers, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are stronger and deeper and more intimate. Because the family I have on this in this life will last 70 plus years and then it's over. I have a brother that, I'm, that I am close to and he was just diagnosed last week with cancer. 
and they're not giving him that long. A few years, maybe. First thing that runs to my mind is, I mean, I want to see him more and more and more. But I know that at some point, whether it's cancer or something else, something's going to take all of us. So, but, so it's not this life, uh, and I'm close to people in this life, but what really gets me excited, what really helps me understand the, this true joy is the fact that he is a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And when we talk, we just don't talk about how we were raised or what we were raised or where we were raised. We talk about Christ. We talk about this, this new body that we're going to receive. We're going to talk about walking on the streets of gold. We talk about all of the things that Christ has prepared for us. And there's a bond that comes that no matter what we face in this life, there is a bond that we have with brothers and sisters in Christ that we know that our Redeemer lives. And it doesn't matter what we experience here. When the trumpet sounds, we will rise. There is a fellowship that you can have with those that are passionate followers of Jesus that nobody else understands and nobody else can explain. Nor can you understand if you're on the outside. But when you surrender your life to Christ, amazing things happen. And here's the result. He said, you can't have a relationship with the Father without having a relationship with the Son because it's all through Him. And he said, well, what, is this, what does this life do? John 1, 5, this is the message that has been given to us and we announce to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. Light and darkness. What does light do? Well, light gives illumination. Helps you see where you're going. Helps you understand your environment, your surroundings. Did you know light gives life? We call it photosynthesis, but it gives life. Light actually cheers the soul. Being out in sunlight will, will change your disposition. There's a lot of things about light that we could talk about, but the point is simply this. Our goal is to get people to walk in the light of Christ so they can see their life they can see it clearly. They can understand who they are, where they are, and where they're going. That's why this fellowship that we have with one another in, in the body of Christ is so real and so personal. It's because we get it. We see each other. It's not about where we were born or where we came from. It's, it's who we are in Him and where we're going. And it is a beautiful relationship that all of us all of us can experience. Life has a way to trying to distract us and to, and to take it away. And, and I, would, I want to encourage you today that if you're struggling with no joy, there is hope. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you can surrender your life to him. And you say, well, why do you use the word surrender? Because you have to give up thinking the way you think and, and, and surrender to his way. And when you do, when you walk away from who you think you are and walk into the light, you're going to discover who God really has intended you to be. And I will promise you this, who you think you are and who God says you are are two different things. Listen to, to Hebrews as, as, we, as we get ready for 
communion. Hebrews 12, 2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix, focus. If you fix your eyes, you fix your gaze, you're not blinking. You ever play that game where you don't blink? After one or two rounds, man, your eyes get really, really dry. Writer Hebrews is saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't look to the left or right. Don't look behind you. Don't look to what other people are doing beside you. Don't look what's happened in the past. Look ahead. Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Why? He's the author and perfecter or completer of our faith. He's the, it's a Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you shall perform it or shall complete it until he comes back. Fix your eyes on him. Here's where I really want to go. You ready for this? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Christ die? For the joy set before him. What was that joy? What was the joy that, why did Christ die? Well, we know John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in Him should have eternal life. Right? What was the joy? The joy was simply this. He wasn't standing there and saying, Woohoo! I'm going to have a crown of thorns. I'm going to be beat. So nobody's going to recognize me. I'm going to have to carry a cross and I'm going to be crucified. I can promise you there was no joy in what he was facing. But he wasn't looking at that. He was looking ahead. He was looking ahead knowing that he was going to be sacrificed and endure extreme punishment. So you and I, would be able to have fellowship with him through the forgiveness of our sins and we would have joy. He had a joy knowing he was going to give his life for you and I. Wow. Jesus knows, knew, still knows, that joy is found in blessing others. The joy that set before him was you and I coming to faith in him. Can I ask you a question? Do you have a lot of joy in your life? If you don't, that can change. By simply giving your life to Him, serving, serving others, building relationships with your brothers and sisters that last for eternity. 
I don't think I have ADD, but if I don't, I, I, I might just have AD. But I catch myself sometimes because one of, one of my personality traits is when I see somebody, I, I really want to talk to them, and I see somebody else out of the corner of my eye, I say, ooh, ooh, another person, and I want to go talk to them too. And I have to catch myself and say, dummy, focus on the person you're talking to because you really do love them. You care for them. And you know what I find? When I, when I quit trying to be a social butterfly and I really focus on that one person, you start engaging in, a, in a, not just a conversation, but you get to see them. You get to really see them. I think sometimes Jesus is wanting us. So maybe today, this morning, as we partake in communion, as we, as we remember what Christ has done for us, I wonder if we could just engage our hearts and our minds and we could say, Lord, am I spending the time with you? Am I really fixing my eyes on you? Because when you do, you will see his face smiling back at you. And there's not a greater joy knowing that you and Christ are one.